0: was there to meet a friend. The friend didn't make it. The guy sees body parts being flung out. To Instagram is it. And that's the first inkling that a lot of us get that a bomb has gone off. Because the government goes radio silent for six hours. The president comes on TV saying he knew nothing of the bombs. The terrorist investigative department comes. Actually, we told you about these guys like six months ago. The president then fires the TID, the head of police, and installs his puppets there and claims that he only heard about bombing on Facebook. Then he blocks Facebook, (laughs) Uh,
1: right?
0: So so imagine a country, if you will, that has almost no information coming through. Bombs have gone off, things are on fire, people's body parts are splattered everywhere. Extraordinary rumors began to flourish. This is The Way Podcast. The militias needed to have a heads up. Oh, I was coming. I personally think they didn't you know, like in chess. So that's how deep the addiction goes. You know, I've been incarcerated most of my life. Having know. a
1: conversation with
0: They've been given no option, either join or die. Yeah, snipers, and it was a military. J. Cole came and hung out most of the choir session.
1: I'm standing at the studio glass, looking out into the studio. If you want to know more about the Way podcast, go to
0: podcasttheway.com.
1: Hello everyone. This is Bill with the Way Podcast. Like the introduction said, be sure to go to podcasttheway.com. This is FM91.7, WHS source at the top of the hour. And now before we get started with this episode, I have no idea why people are listening to me doing a podcast, but apparently the show's in the top 3%, so thank you so much to the people listening. Share the word, I'm happy the show's growing, maybe I'll do a giveaway, some shirts or some hats or something, but just all the news, I'd just like to say thank you, I'm happy to see the show grow. Now, this is part two of the Boston Sri Lanka series, and I think it's the more interesting of the two. We really talked about how the government is affected by these social media bots and how the country Sri Lanka has dealt with this issue throughout their history. So without further ado, I'll start the episode. Gotcha. It took me a while to bring it up. So your research dives particularly into Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of what your research was about was how, I guess, bots, but yeah, how bots influence the political landscape over there.
0: Mm-hmm. We were looking at bots on twitter and again at this edition of social way because it was a it was a suspicion that certain politicians seem to have twitter followings that were actually inflated or rather because you have to understand Sri Lanka has had a fake news problem for a very long time we've had it at least since the 1950s
1: uh,
0: and in fact we've had entire civil wars and and all sorts of um, like I said all sorts of terrible things have happened Because hate speech, uh, misinformation around race and ethnicity are an intrinsic part or have been an intrinsic part of the political landscape here. So this we just, you know, it's usually untraceable. But we saw this happening on social media and and we wanted to take a look at the dynamics of it. We found networks that were following bot networks that, you know, growth in certain politicians social media profiles that was far too regular to be anything other than bot driven, like 444 followers today, 443 tomorrow, 442 tomorrow, 444 the next day, someone clearly forgot to include a random number generator. And then we found, of course, clusters of bots that appeared and started following people with significant socio-political capital, I would say, but capital that isn't necessarily reflected in the online profiles but in the real world, as in people that they relate, I mean, why people that they're related to or businesses that they're in or political interests that they have, or perhaps they have the ear of someone uh, very powerful. So we, we unearthed evidence of that. And as to whether they have made, whether they have influenced the political process, I would not make that claim simply because social media is, so on representative of the population here as in uh, you, can't, you know, the spread of broadband is mobile broadband spread is actually quite decent but the user social media is quite low you know, in terms of population so you can't really make a claim that you know this political conversation has clearly impacted um, this election or things like that here
1: yeah gotcha. so somebody could see a post or something and they could go down a rabbit hole But that's still such a small minority of such a small minority that not too concerned about its influence.
0: Yeah, because more, uh, you know, if you want to talk misinformation and and sort of influence, more damage, uh, if you will, is done by what we would consider traditional media. I can I can send you over a slide set that I compiled. I was, uh, I think, last year, March, I was at NATO Stratcom. Coe and it was, it was sort of explaining the dynamics of misinformation in Sri Lanka, and I had put together a set of slides that showed the extent of the problem. One was photo from Net FM, which is a, a very classical FM broadcaster here. Who had also have they also have a news operation. And for COVID, like we had for the first reported case of COVID in Sri Lanka, we had only one for a long period of time. They had put up a photo f- taken from Chernobyl, the TV series. Someone in a gas mask holding up a lethal looking wild. is clearly meant to incite terror. Like, there's no reason to be, uh, go to those extents over one case that had happened in isolation. And um, we also, like, I also put up a, a photo of a print media paper, one of the oldest print uh, journalism operations in the country that had, I think, rewritten a headline from NASA saying the NASA, well, NASA rover finds the building blocks of life on Mars that had been translated as NASA finds building blocks on Mars. And someone had even helpfully you know zoomed in a part of the photo and drawn a circle around supposedly brick-like objects. <laughs> and this this is print media. this is this is print, this is old school journalism as it happens here. so more damage is done there.
1: So that's like our New York Times over here in America, something like that.
0: That would uh, that would be like a Washington Post, I think. Still, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's still it's huge, right? So I mean, more damage is done through operations like that here than through bots. Misinformation is part, almost part and parcel of life, really. You'll go on TV and you will find. Uh, Serious looking news anchors talking about deforestation by certain ethnic groups, and then later um, lawyers and humanitarian groups show up to try and record and see if this is happening. It turns out there's absolutely nothing of the sort there. But then this same information is parroted by ministers and government figures and is used to justify, shall we say, a certain type of ethno nationalist supremacy. So, bots aren't, I would say, we've done a lot more damage to ourselves. If the bots, if bots actually arrive here, I don't know. They're just going to be late to the party. It's like bringing a knife to a gunfight.
1: That's a good way to word it <laughs> of the messed up situation it is. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, people do a lot more damage to themselves.
1: Prior to this, in my mind, I had mm. this image that like these bots were like, you know, like putting out these conspiracy theories, all this crazy stuff. But mm. I, it makes me feel better. But it doesn't make me feel better because that just means it's the people actually deliberately doing this bad stuff. So
0: that's why I sort of oh, that's why I sort of um, almost detuned from from tracking bots and went more into let's actually start to analyze millions of posts made by real people because uh, you know at a certain point it felt like chasing a whale that that just wasn't there. Like yeah. There was a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt, I think, in a large part of it. If you look at the literature on misinformation, even automated detection of misinformation, there's a massive uptick past 2016 and 2017. And I think that stems from um, fears reflected in American media about Russian bots influencing the election process, oh, yeah. etc. Cetera, et cetera. But then look at the voting numbers. Real people voted. A large number of real people <laughs> voted for us.
1: Or yeah, the-
0: various politicians. <laughs>
1: the bots can't vote
0: <laughs> at least at least not yet
1: <laughs> oh yeah no right still figure <laughs> out way. who knows wow so how the root of the problem is this fake news that's spreading how hmm. do you solve that like do you have any ideas
0: good question um so there are two two fundamentally different approaches to this one is top down and that's to enforce um risk because every platform say Facebook for example has rules and regulations about what kind of content is permissible and um, i wouldn't say they do a great job of enforcing those rules and regulations if you take the argument that many social media networks and many of these places of discussion that we have today kind of function like the greek agora that is a, a place Uh, a communal place where there is conversation happening, there's business transactions happening, there's also significant political discussion and it's it's a vital part of not just the political ecosystem but also the civic ecosystem as such. These agoras have rules and one, one school of thought is that the platforms should be better at enforcing the rules in their own agoras. And many platforms obviously say, no, we're not, we're not agoras. We are not part of this. We're private companies. We can't be held responsible, but then, eh, you know, it's just semantics. That's tomato, tomato. Um, so that's the top down approach. Um, and the bottom up approach is of course, to teach people to be much better at distinguishing information. And to try and understand that we are today exposed to far more information than the average person was, you know, at the the turn of the millennium. Um, We receive so much more input. So a lot of the tools and the mental processes that we have developed as humans for much of our civilization doesn't really apply here. So and to sort of take a step away from that. Now, when we train fact checkers. For Watchdog, which is the fact checker that I run, we go through an extensive list of first how to how to search. You know, of course, how to search and triangulate information, how to look at timestamps and so on and so forth. But the first and the most basic step we tell them is there's a checklist of uh, checklist called the markers of misinformation. The first of those are does this post uh, does this post or the piece of content that you have just seen does it raise some kind of emotional response in you if so now stay take a step back if you have some sort of emotional reaction to it take a step back and look at certain markers is it does it contain highly repetitive calls to action does it seem to does it seem to cite figures of authority in in an effort to sort of make itself look more legitimate does it seem to have like this odd sense of specific generalness that is It will quote numbers in some areas, but the numbers don't really make a logical argument, but there are lots of numbers and there is the impression of authority. There's someone trying to simulate authority. So to look for these markers and take a step back and go, okay, let me Google this. And that really is like the most basic step and also the most effective step in in general or general dealing with these kinds of problems. The, The simple step of, okay, I've received a new piece of information. Um, my friend in folks have sent it to me to just divorce yourself from the idea that just because you know a person and you like a person, you get on well with them, the idea that what they're sending necessarily may be truth or valuable information just to take a step back and go, let me Google that. That's honestly the hardest part of the training. We, we found that once you can get people to do that step instinctively, they you know, the rest of the fact-checking stuff, the highly technical stuff of like, Let's, here's how we use Twitter's built-in a uh, text search engine to fine-tune the searches, and all that, that's, that's basically rather easy. Um, so that step is to, is to try and find, is to actually, you know, better educate humans on information literacy. There is a third, there is a third point of concern that's sort of now being raised by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, a recent Nature study found that, um, basically found that Public health communications was in a state of crisis because to a lot of people doing public health communications, the networks through which misinformation spread are just not visible. So you'd sort of be spreading good information. you think of it as like valleys separated from each other. You'd sort of be spreading good information into one valley and go, right, I've done a decent job, but in the next valley, everything's on fire and you never even see that fire. Uh, this nature study, I believe, uh, analyzed about 100 million Facebook profiles to make this claim. It was, it was a really good piece of work. So, you know, the third component of this is better, is better sort of science education. It's And I would say better humanities education as well, brought down to a public level, like because one of, the things of, one of the things that we seem to have been divorced from is this general sense of critical thinking uh, from popular figures so we, we really need I mean this is more of sort of a public service thing but the more people we have people looking up to other people who are able to think very critically but also to express that in simple terms in understandable terms, in terms that you can convey to your mother, to your great aunt, uh, to your father who doesn't really you don't really get on with anymore. That's critical. The Carl Sagans of the world, we need them, the balloon with the balloon detection kits. And that's sort of the three pillars on which this rates so need none of these systems can are going to be effective without without the other two.
1: And when you say the critical thinking of the public figures you mean like yeah. politicians or the influencers themselves or do you mean like the people ourselves
0: critical thinking in people that's the step of media literacy but critical thinking among public figures that's politicians and influencers and you know when think think about it this way when you have an expert um with a couple of hundred thousand followers saying x thing is true you know two plus two is four but you have an influencer with 20 million followers going is two plus two really four i heard that it might be five the numbers game just, just doesn't work out now again, okay, but this is some this is anecdotal uh it seems that now social media has been fantastically useful in giving in making speech more democratic and giving people the ability to speak and giving people the ability to share their opinions. Now, previously in sort of the pre-social media world, if you look at the pre-telephony world, actually, Gutenberg Press, you have newspapers, and then you have radio happening. And in all of these cases for information to be given to the general public, they had to go through editors and they had to go through people who were invested in to a certain degree in keeping their information true and accurate. And in fact, many people made careers of, keeping, of debunking other people as well. And uh, the general sense of information checking was done. Then you have telephony and people can communicate uh, uh, to each other uh, at basically the speed of electricity. And this gatekeeping mechanism that looks at the quality of information falls apart and stops being relevant. This is accelerated by social media, but this really started with telephones. This really started with mass communication. So we all we have to acknowledge that this kind of information gatekeeping can't happen anymore. It, it's, that's not how the world works. And that's possibly not honestly not how it should work. People should be free to talk to each other. So then it comes down to A, providing examples, like good examples that do not have, let's say, the carrot and not the stick. Uh, people like a really good example is Carl Sagan. A carrot and not a stick. Carl Sagan not going to come to your house and beat you up because you, because you uh, became a flat earther. But he's going to say things in public. Well, he was, but he would say things in public that would make you go, let me, man seems interesting. Let me, let me switch over to his side for a bit. Or let me see what he has to say. And then of course on, on the public, edu- when this comes down to public education, uh, on sort of on our end, we have to understand that our information processing frameworks are just fundamentally screwed up. As humans, we are geared to we give privilege information from friends and family and people who are like us, people who have the same interests, people who have the same characteristics. There's a fundamental principle called homophily uh, that shows how we form lasting networks. We have to accept that information shared through these networks are not always going to be true and that's not anyone's fault either because there's so much information that even the best possible network is going to let some noise in, even if you got, uh, even if your 100 best friends are all Nobel laureates, I'm pretty sure you'll find at least one piece of coming through.
1: I can go in so many directions right now because like, first off, everybody says you got to look at the other side. You got to acknowledge the other side. But if everybody's saying that and the countries are still as polarized as they are, that means nobody's really kind of doing that. I'm sure some people are. But and then I like the idea of teaching people to critically think and analyze the news. I was one of the first generations where in school they actually taught us how, you know, something's evidence. Mm. For a while, I thought .org meant what well, was it was legitimate. But then I found a wicked fake one with a org at the end. So even if it wasn't perfect, I was like, oh, wow. So that doesn't mean it's official. That doesn't mean it's exactly. some, some crazy conspiracy. But like if they taught you to look at the date, look at the message behind it. Do they try to provoke emotions from you? Look at the source. Look at their other articles, like all that stuff, which is good. But then you see like the Googling, like uh, try to Google the evidence and we're in a day and age. I'm a victim of it, too. But we have such short attention spans because of social media where it's like, look at this article, look at this, look at this. So that when you're to read the headline seems like more than enough a lot of the time. But then to read the article and then to fact check it for the average person, I wish we would all do it. But it is also it's become a lot, I feel like.
0: So surprisingly, this is a lot easier than perhaps I make it sound. Let's take Watchdog, right? The fact checker that I co-founded, twenty nineteen in April, bombs bombs went off in Colombo. Two hundred, even the death counts are <laughs> up, right? <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> um, initially, the count was that three hundred people had died, and then. A letter from the chief coroner went public, saying apologising to the people of Sri Lanka because there were too many pieces to accurately put back together, and that accounts had to be revised back to 250. It was very traumatic because it happened in sort of the radius of Colombo, and this is it's a very small this is a very small place, right? So, a couple of friends and I, well, basically five of us got together, and said, well we started you know once the wind the bombs went off one of us was actually caught The guy still has a shirt with blood and ash spattered on it he was there he was there to meet a friend uh, the friend didn't make it guy sees body parts being flung out instagrams it and that's the first inkling that a lot of us get that a bomb has gone off <laughs> right because the government ha- goes radio silent for six hours the president comes on tv saying he knew nothing of the bombs. the Terrorist investigative department comes and says, actually, we told you about these guys like six months ago. President then fires the TID, the head of police, and installs his puppets there and claims that he only heard about bombings on Facebook. And then he bans Facebook, then he blocks Facebook. Uh, (laughs) Right? So, So imagine a country, if you will, that has almost no information coming through. Bombs have gone off, things are on fire, people's body parts are splattered. (laughs) <laughs> Everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, extraordinary rumors began to flourish. I would get calls saying, like, if one of the first calls I got, I still remember this. One of the first calls I got was someone saying, "Majang, have you heard that?" Because the the bombers were uh, were primarily like fundamentalist uh, Muslims, this incited rage, a massive rage of like uh, of, of racism. I got a call saying, "Majang, have you heard? In what the other Muslims have poisoned the water supply?" I'm like, no, hang on, just, just let me let me check up. this. So I called up journalists who are in that region and they were like, absolutely not, what nonsense. But by the time I had caught the call, there were vans going up and down on my road with loudspeakers saying they poisoned the water supply, don't drink water. So, this just yeah. got crazy. So, we thought, okay, we have to do something about this. Um, government communications has collapsed, we do not know what the hell the media is saying, so we started an app. It was, uh, it was like basically the work of five days and a whole lot of Red Bull. <laughs> and um, 200,000 people eventually started using this app. And we delivered daily fact checks. Uh, and then a lot of the people there, a lot of reviews that we got, this is an incredible thing. And this is you know more trustworthy than the news and so on. It was also sad. The good thing is that it was not a complex process. At no point did we have an incredibly complex process. We had essentially everything that we got, we would look it up. We use Google, which is the same as everyone else. And in fact, we said, don't trust us. Try this process out for yourself. You can do it on, with like a laptop or a mobile phone in just five minutes of your time. Google things, see if there are three or more sources that confirm the same thing. And here's a rough idea of the political polarisation of media based on the ownership structures. So, see if you find uh, sources that have different political leanings but all agreeing on the same on the same truth. Right, that you can put forward. There's, that you can. Most cases, you can say, okay, this has to be verified information because people who are, should be at each other's throats are agreeing on this fact. Um, and and that was the check for the longest period of time. And, you know, at, at a point it was, at a point we had been scaled to like 100 people on the back end, but normal operation is essentially two people. Myself and one of my co-founders just passing information back and forth, being fed the information by a large quantity of volunteers who are in WhatsApp groups, in Telegram groups, constantly phishing and sending us stuff. But it was at the heart of it. It was a very simple process. And anyone can do this. It doesn't require patient. So that's a good part. The bad part is that this is something that anybody can do. And the fact that people aren't doing it <laughs> in this age of Google where we have access to the sum total of humanity's knowledge at a few keystrokes, which none of our ancestors ever did. The fact that we still believe or still don't bother to stop and think is is a bit sad.
1: That's why you hear like, the internet's the most amazing tool, but it can also be the most detrimental because all this crazy information we get, hand on my fingertips, I can figure out how dark matter works and freaking the halo around the universe, whatever.
0: Yeah. At the same time. And, I mean, um, I can empathize with it as well, right? Because it's also emotion. You're constantly, if you're on Twitter, you're seeing the emotions of tens of thousands of people just projected raw into your face. And we've... Uh, we were never built for this. We were never built for this flow of information from this many people at the same time. So the information flood is very real and the sort of numbing effect that it gives you is very real. Like my Twitter feed, for example, is not something that I want to be plugged in in day and day out. I spend an hour on Twitter and that's it. I'm done for the day because it's just so exhausting to be there. But part of the problem is that we have, we have that a lot of our, So part of the problem is that our economies now economies are primarily based on attention. Attention being a finite resource, and you sort of treat it like oil, every person has so much of it to give a day. And there are massive corporations with extraordinary talented data scientists. Like I always say, like people like me are not the sharpest tools in the shed at any given point. The smartest people are out there trying to figure out how to get you to how to increase a click-through rate by 0.2%. We are sort of the second-tier people who are going, that's wrong. The simple fact is that as an individual, you're up against the collective combined intelligence of extraordinary smart people with extraordinary amounts of computational power and extraordinary amounts of research developed specifically on how to grab your attention and how to direct it to things that you would otherwise never have come across. That's the reality of it.
1: Wow. The emotion side. That's why I hear like the news they like to show what's bad happening in the world because mm-hmm. it compels you like, oh, you need to be worried about your own backyard robberies are going on. I need to be careful. Mm-hmm. It catches our attention. And I heard I forget the exact step. I want to say fake news spreads like 20 percent or 30 percent more mm-hmm. because of that same reason they attack the emotions. And it just I'm, I'm curious about how your research like way back in the beginning when we mentioned how. Your research is seeing the emotions of each Facebook post. I'm just curious to see if that like catches anything about that part two.
0: So you're correct, and there might be a significant correlation. Terry Pratchett used to say that a truth a lie can get around the world before the truth can get its boots on, and I always thought that was a fantastical line because it it is true that we react to bad news far stronger than we do to good news, and that is that comes from evolution. The person who doesn't like it's it's a form of bias. Like you are better off as a human living in a cave. You are better off jumping at every possible noise outside than ignoring it, because there's, there's a small chance that the tiger might be outside. the tiger might be outside waiting for you. So we are primed to consider these things as threats. And there is significant research that shows that we tend to treat. Uh, these kinds of digital information as actually try to pro- we process them on some level similar to how we process physical threats so we pay a lot more attention to it uh, as regarding whether fake news gets more reactions in our data set I have not looked into it yet I would I would really like to and i am given you a really fantastic idea of using potentially a misinformation we have a model for classifying things as misinformation that's about 98% accurate, and that's that's fairly standard as far as the field goes. Uh, if I use that on millions of Facebook posts and see whether those posts subsequently have more reactions and what type of emotional reactions they generate, that would be a very interesting piece of research. I think you'd give me more work with it. This is great.
1: Good. I hope you do it. And let me know when the research comes out. I'd be excited to read that.
0: would be pretty interesting.
1: That app, the one you mentioned earlier, is called Watchdog? Yes. Is that on like the Apple store or just Android?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's on Apple. It's on Google Play. You don't necessarily need to like download the app even Team is online. We are now, we are currently in soft shutdown because we are rewriting our code base to make it open source. Because I went around and talked to a whole bunch of other fact checkers and one of the things that they seemed impressed by were the fact that we had an app and a backend and we had built this stuff overnight and we had figured out deployment and stuff. And we were sitting there thinking, well, these people need these people could use every uh, you know, every little bit that they can get. Why not just make the thing open source? Uh, so we're in the middle of rewriting the code base there. But if you go to watchdog.team, the team, you'll see what it looks like. It's very simple interface. Uh, we just had to make sure that it's in all three languages in Sri Lanka because trilingualism and actually communicating is important to us.
1: Gotcha. Wait, is it in English? English, Singhala, and Tamil. Oh, okay,
0: okay. All, all three major languages spoken in Sri Lanka. All
1: right, sounds good. I'll have to check that out myself. Well, thanks so much for coming out to the show.
0: Oh, thanks for thanks for doing this, and thank you for the research idea. I need to go write this down now.
1: Excited, yeah. I actually do want to see it. So send that over. And is there anything you want to tell the audience? Like any final message?
0: Hmm. I would say, curate your sources very carefully. The sources that you get the information from. In the same sense that we pay attention to what we eat, you know, we don't go around actively eating poison. Think of your information diet as something that is as important as your physical diet, because, you know, I can make all sorts of arguments about how it's better for society as a whole. But let's take the purely selfish view: it's better for your mental health. It's better to be more informed because we humans function on maps of reality. We look out at the world around us. We summarize it into maps or models of reality and we operate on those the more accurate your model is the more it represents the actual world around you in all its complexity and all it's you may not agree with it you may not even want such things to be there but the more accurate it is the better and easier it will be for you to operate
1: all right you Danjay. thanks so much for coming out to the show for the audience this is fm 91.7 whus stores at the top of the hour and go to podcasttheway.com. As always, deuces. This has been The Way Podcast. If you want to know more about The Way Podcast, go to podcasttheway.com.